I don't know how many of you have seen this clip. Uh, it's circa 2000. the human condition, does he not? There is this picture that we have of what it means to have these metrics for success in life that are embedded in awards and acknowledgement and recognition and luxuries and indulgences. And in this really unique environment of where it's heightened, he just kind of calls it out. And I think when we talk about faith, and what we have in our relationship with Christ, that is, as we begin this journey with Christ, what we have is an opportunity to redefine or reestablish new metrics of faith. Up with something new. We can, like, empty ourselves of this incessant need for approval because we understand that fundamentally that's ground zero. We can actually empty ourselves of this comparison, this competitiveness. Making ourselves feel better about ourselves. So on this Sunday that leads into Lent, morning thinking, I want to learn about fasting. Everyone got up going, I want to eat. I need my coffee. And so when the pastor's like, hey, y'all, let's talk about fasting, that was not in any of tune me out just yet. We're going somewhere with this. No, but what we have in Lent, and we can't talk about Lent without talking about fasting, is we have this picture of what and sacrifice. What we have is this invitation for renewal simply by basically changing two degrees of our trajectory. Two degrees over the next five weeks can make a significant impact. Two degrees over the next five months can make an even larger impact. Two I love those things when I love these now. How is it that God has expanded my capacity to love this and be almost indifferent towards something I thought was really important? That's what it means to fast as something completely and entirely ordinary. Now, if you have your app, there's some um, outlines. Say this, fasting is one of the most ordinary common practices known to the human condition. Think about it. Let me ask the question. Well, I don't know, uh, sleep, uh, let's be honest, a shower. Like, there's days that go by, you're like, I forgot to bathe. Uh, maybe healthy eating, time with family, um, better eating habits, live. Back burner for all sorts of reasons. 
Sometimes we're procrastinators. Sometimes we're, let's just admit it, we're lazy. Sometimes we're really busy and work's getting the best of us. Sometimes we just have wrong priorities and other times we're just in a different season of life that doesn't make accommodations for that. We fast all of the time. The difference is biblical fasting is a voluntary denial of an otherwise normal activity but for spiritual purposes. So now I want to talk about what it is the things that we, that we fast. Now we fast sometimes for doctor's appointments because, well, we're doing lab work or a medical procedure where we're told not to eat. This is kind of normal for us. Sometimes we fast because, well, um, I'm saving up for a sofa or a down payment and so we fast certain expenditures because we're saving. Other times we fast maybe a workout, uh, um, maybe we fast um, friendships or a hobby because we're just too busy. The point is fasting is common and ordinary, but what I wanna encourage us to do is to rethink how we fast time. When we talk about Lent, and I'm not sure if you grew up with a Lenten experience, if you interact with people, especially who come from a Catholic tradition, they'll talk about, oh, I'm going to do this for Lent. I'm going to give up chocolate, or I'm going to give up alcohol. I'm going to give up caffeine as some sacrificial approach towards Lent. And so rather than focusing on the giving up, the sacrifice, I would like to re-engineer that to think about how can we, over the next five weeks, that took over for Israel. Um, and he was actually the people's choice. And it was Saul. And King Saul was the first king that became, because prior to that, there were the judges. But the it was God gave him victory, um, and God gave him very clear in, uh, direct instructions on how he was supposed to finish out the victory. And he came back with all the spoils of war, and Nathan confronts him with this because he wanted to give all of these sacrifices. And then he says, don't you understand that to obey is better than sacrifice? So he was giving these lavish sacrifices of all of this new livestock that they encountered, and he was spreading the spoils of war around, and, and all he could say is, you've missed the point. To obey is better than sacrifice. And so what I want to do is take something about fasting and look at Lent and saying, what are the things that we don't necessarily have to sacrifice? A growing awareness of God's presence. So what Lent is, it is the prime example of how we practice our rhythm of renewal. Renewal is that thing that enables us to have a growing awareness of the presence of God. How? We learn to resensitize our hearts so that we can yield or turn to the prompts and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, in some cases, we're going to turn away from things. We're going to turn away from unforgiveness. We're going to turn away from sin. We're going to turn away from selfishness. But we're going to turn towards generosity. We're going to turn towards compassion. We're going to turn towards justice. We're going to turn towards this kind of mindfulness that allows us to experience God in increasing ways. Two degrees, friends. 
That's all I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a savior life diet or something like that. I'm just saying, can we begin a journey that allows us to have an increased awareness A sort of contentious relationship with fasting. When I was 19 years old, I was really being inspired by a lot of heroes of the faith, men and women who had maybe a hundred years ago done really amazing things. And I was surrounded by a group of really on fire, you know, Christians that were set up. And I got this idea on the, the fall of my sophomore semester that I was going to fast every Wednesday. And it was the most miserable experience I had spiritually ever had. And I went to a Christian high school. Uh, and that Christian high school, prior to being my Christian high school, <clears throat> was two things. It was a convent for women and a women's correctional facility. So I went to Fort God. Barbed wire, 20-foot quad walls. was worse than this. And here's what I mean, is because it became entirely and utterly about the sacrifice. So much so that I would stay up, because in all my spiritual maturity, I was just waiting till midnight, where I'd have like three bowls of cereal. And I think I had this expectation like, oh Lord, we're going to have this kumbaya moment. I'm going to give this up for you, and you're going to take me to the mountaintops. And I'm going to be like gliding across San Diego State's campus as if I'm this holy and anointed one. Except God never met me in a goosebump. He met me in a very visceral way, and my body started to react like I was getting headachy, and then I was getting hangry. And yet I made this dumb, dumb commitment that every Wednesday I was going to do this. And I couldn't go back on it like... I had like told people or whatever. And, like I was like, shoot, what a failure. And so here I had this great desire to be like intimate with God. I had all these people in my life that I want. I want that kind of faith. And so I'm like, well, let's be a spiritual green beret about it, like a Navy SEAL. I'm going to fast, and that's going to make me close to God, except it didn't. Why? Because the sacrifice was more about me than it was about God. And I was holding God in contempt. I was holding God hostage like, you know how much I love food. And I've given this up for you. So you better show up in like audible ways. And you better interrupt my quiet times with angels. Like, I mean, that was that kind of, hey, I'm going to do this. It was a quid pro quo, this for that. I'm doing this for you, so you should do this for me. And it was awful. So this, what we're talking about today, is not. But um, there is something that comes to us that very few people, I think, are familiar with. There was this collective pursuit of the presence of God, something called a solemn assembly. It simply means, it's translated from the root words being restrain or contain. Now, there are no less than 12 examples of solemn assemblies in the Old Testament. This was part of a spiritual practice. And here's what's really interesting, is because we as Westerners, we always think very individualistic about my salvation. But what in the Hebrew mind, it was always salvation was collective. 
It was corporate. Yes, there was a personal responsibility, but it was about the sins of the whole. Now, there's three examples that we could find, but when, uh, well, there's 12, but there's three that I just wanna highlight. But what we have to understand about the solemn assembly was it wasn't just a ceremony. It wasn't just a service. In fact, solemn assemblies would last multiple days. They were often called as part of a religious festival that on the seventh day of Passover or on the, the Feast of Tabernacles it would be on the eighth day or something like that. But there was a day or there was a, a prolonged season where the people of God were asked to come with, uh, renew their commitment and their covenant. It was a cry for hope and, and it was a cry for help. It was a chance to humble themselves before God with the idea that I am coming to you agendaless with this humility through confession. Do you, in your intimacy with God, do you, in your pursuit of God, in your belief in God, have any kind of regimen where you empty yourself? One of the most spiritually vital things we could do is empty ourselves through confession, examination, so that the Holy Spirit can fill us back up. And so we have these different examples. And again, sometimes it comes out of dryness. Sometimes it comes out of, of, of crisis. Sometimes it comes out of seasons of indifference. But we're invited to renew our covenant with Christ and our commitments to one another. This is what it means to have a living faith. This is why our, our, one of our rhythms is the, the rhythm of renewal so that we can be renewed because guess what? My natural tendency is to want to callous up my heart. I want to insulate my heart because I'm watching the news this week and it was too hard at some times and I wanted to change the channel. You have that experience? We have this instinctive quality that wants to kind of shield ourselves from being too affected and what I think God wants to do in our salvation is break our hearts for all the right reasons in all the right ways. Do you want to recalibrate? Do you want to redeem Lent? Do you want to experience new life and celebrate Easter in a new way? That's the journey we're on. To help us, we've put together a resource. Um, <clears throat> we put together a, a, a guide. It's a Lenten journey. I'm not asking you to give anything up. I'm not asking you to give up your coffee in the morning or anything like that. What I'm asking you to do is consider how might you participate reading. There's a prayer. There's a prompt. There's something to meditate on or there's an action. It doesn't have to be something that's like this huge journey. It's just two degrees that I want to take the trajectory of that with and create some kind of holistic life change. But here's the thing, I want to do it together because just me going through an experience doesn't change me. Have you ever had one of those experiences where you go away or you, get, you recover uh, and everyone else is just business as usual? You have some impactful moment, maybe a near-death experience, maybe a cancer diagnosis, uh, or, or maybe like some mission trip or some baptism experience, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's so amazing, and everyone's just going through. No, no, no. What I want to do is go through this together. So I'm inviting us as a church community to go through this together. In fact, what we did is we actually did a direct mailer, and this is the theme we're going with. It's a chance to begin again. We sent out this mailer. It's going out this week. 
through a mile around this neighborhood because we simply want to be good neighbors. And there's a QR code that's associated with it and if people scan the code, they can follow along electronically. People will never meet, but we wanted to provide a good neighbor resource for them so that if they wanted to go through land, we don't want them to sacrifice anything. We just want them to obey God and be able to have a growing awareness of God's presence. Here's the thing. I want to encourage you, before you leave, if you didn't already get one, take one of these home and consider how you're going to go through it. Are you a morning person? Are you a night person? There's actually instructions on how to go through it. It's just a daily prompt, but it's not exhaustive. It's not going to take you 30 minutes. It might take you up to 10 minutes, and you might enjoy it. The other thing that I would highly recommend is that you go through it with someone else. And you have to understand, there's a lot of people that go through Lent that don't necessarily go to church. They all know about Fat Tuesday. They all know about Mardi Gras. But there's this experience that people go through, like they're going to get it all out of the system, and then they're going to get really pious and sacrificial leading into Lent. And I'm just saying to that friend, to that neighbor, to that person of peace, just going, hey, would you want to go through this with me? Here's what I'm doing. You can follow along electronically. We're going to have it going through our Instagram feed as well. But I would encourage you, because there's, there's opportunity to jot some notes. You might also want to take, a, we have a stack of these, um, and you might want to go put these in your neighbor's boxes. Just go put it in their mailbox and, and let them know what we're doing. If you have some neighbors, you can even scribble on a note. But can we do this as part of our outreach because we want to be good neighbors and to be able to offer resources to people who are spiritually curious but institutionally skeptical? That's, that's what we're doing, and, and so hopefully we can have something productive come out of this as we prepare for, for um, Easter. Now, um, here's what happened. There, let me just highlight three examples. Amos and Isaiah were two prophets that were kind of downplayed. They were down on the idea of solemn assemblies. And so when you read the, readings or the writings of Isaiah and Amos, they're like, hey, this is not a big deal. And the reason was is because of injustice. So people would come to church and people would come with their offerings and people would get all dressed up and they would come with their prayers and their worship. And Isaiah and Amos were very specific. Don't bring me your pretty songs. Don't bring me your offerings. When there's needs among you, there's injustice and the people of God aren't doing enough. So when you read the needs more. In fact, there was one king that called a solemn assembly. King Ahab, had, who was terribly um, not a good follower of God over, over Israel, he had brought in all these Baals of, uh, to, uh, and prophets of Baal to worship other gods. And King um, Jehu comes along and he kind of dupes them. This is what happens when a, a king takes over the spiritual leadership instead of the prophets of God, is that he says, oh, you think, you think Ahab really worshiped the Baal? I'm going to have something. And he called a solemn assembly. He brought all of the prophets of Baal together in their own temple and he had them all slaughtered. Ha <laughs> ha, tricked ya. And then he had the ruins destroyed and turned it into a latrine. Like the Bible has some great drama you're missing out on. This is 2 Kings. Read it for yourself. It's got Hollywood beat hands down. Probably not what God had in mind when he called God's people to a solemn assembly. Joel comes to us in Joel chapter 2. 
And he calls the people of God in the midst of a severe drought. This was an agricultural society who were going through an intense famine. And he calls the people to this solemn assembly. It, it, was, it was a chance to not, and, and this is where I think it affects us as Americans. As Americans, we love our Bill of Rights, but what if as Americans, we thought about it as a Bill of Responsibilities? We are an entitled people. We believe that we have inalienable rights. So when we think God owes us something or when we think God should bless us for something, we have a way of shaking our fist and demanding these things from God. He doesn't encourage any of that. He calls them to, yeah, do they need to be fed? Are they in a drought? Absolutely. But he calls them to come clean. He calls them into confession and to examination. He calls them to areas in which he needs or which they as a people need to grow closer to God. And so this is what he said. This is in, in, in Joel chapter 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly. Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and will have pity on his people. So rejoice, you sons of Zion, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication. And he poured down for you the rain, the early and the latter rain as before. It will come about that, this will, that I will pour out my spirit on all people and all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even, on the, even the male and the female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days." There is a picture like, oh, you want to be fed? I'm going to do way more than that. And so what we have here is this picture that we find where you find or rekindle God as your first love. He's like, your bellies are hungry, your souls are thirsty, and I'm going to meet both of them. So before we just want God to do a quick fix in our life, God to somehow meet a need, we're inviting God to do a new work so that we can have a new perspective and maybe a new heart. Does that sound like something we're celebrating, like the resurrection? And so there's this picture. It was a time of renewal of covenants and commitments. And I would say it this way. whether Obviously, I'm not going thirsty and I'm not going hungry. But we do live in a continual and perpetual spiritual drought. We are in a spiritual famine where we might get fed once a week if we happen to make it to church once a week. And this is an invitation to go through and to practice the presence of God in daily and ordinary ways, to let Scripture speak to you. And, and what the Holy Spirit might want to guide and direct. Because renewal has to be about the resensitizing our hearts. And so that we might have a growing awareness of presence of God. starts with us turning towards God and acknowledging our dependence on him. In 2003, we were in our from home and we were wondering what God had next. Now, Laurel has this experience with fasting that is really different than mine, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But we somehow separately came to a decision that we were going to fast and to seek God agendalist. And so what we did is we set aside 21 days where we weren't going to eat. 
we drank. We had some little liquefied electrolytes that we kept just to keep our metabolism slowly moving along. But for 21 days, we sought the Lord. And here's what I said. I just want a growing awareness of your presence, God. I'd gone through my 19-year-old idealistic song and going, God, I want this, I want this, I want this. And he's like, none of it. And this wasn't that. This was like, God, if there's stuff in my life that I need to confess, if there's stuff in my life that has not been healed, if there's stuff in my life that is keeping me from knowing you, would you just reveal it to me? Have your will, have your way. Well, guess what? God met me in such a powerful way, but it wasn't a goosebump. I would never want to have to do that again, but I'm so glad that I did it. You see what I'm saying? There was a chance to just empty ourselves, and it's amazing how God began to open doors when we quit trying to force him. In 2004, we were in California working on it, and we got one of those terrible middle-of-the-night calls. It was a call. Um, so we had a two and a four-year-old, and we loaded them up uh, and drove down south and had to respond to this. Now, mom wasn't in great health, um, so we were surprised that dad passed away first. Um, and so there was this rude awakening because mom was already, dad was doing full-time care for mom. And so there was this, oh, no, what are we going to do now with mom? But what happened to dad? We didn't see this coming. And one of the things I'm really proud of is how Laurel responded. Some of you know that Laurel is an avid runner. She runs um, at least one marathon a year. She's ran 20 of them. Add that to your bucket list. She tried to make it a family bucket list. And I was like, hey, bucket lists are personal. And I work on Sundays. So keep your bucket list to yourself. You're on your own system. But originally, she ran her first marathon as an expression of grief. She was never a land sport girl. She could scuba dive, and she was water skiing team, and all this stuff, and barefooter. But she wasn't a land sport. She started running, and she started fasting. 40 days, 21 days. She ran three marathons that first year. Why? Because there was stuff that was inside that needed to be healed. There was stuff inside that needed to be grieved. And there was only ways to do it when you would physically depend on God and have this growing awareness of God's presence every time you felt like you had a hunger pain. What are you really hungry for? See, we develop an appetite for lots of things. We develop an appetite for social media, and yet we hate it. We develop an appetite for snacking, and yet we want to we hit our target weight. We develop an appetite for materialism, and yet we want to live more simply. What are you developing an appetite for? Because that might not be what you're really hungry for. When you go through a fast, you start to discover what you're really hungry for. Do you know that every um, Monday morning we've started fasting for Mission Hills? Our staff comes together, and we come um, having not eaten. Because the prayers that prayed today... we pray and fast for. So for the last two months, we've made this our staff practice. And your names come at mind. Your neighbors come to mind. Your friends come to mind. Your family come to mind. This is how we're trying to lead and say, Lord, there's something that you want to do, but there's something that we're so limited to do. 
So we place our hope and our trust on you. God, would you do a new work? Some trust in chariots. Some trust in, in horses. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. I want to encourage you similarly to make your requests known. When we have times to come together in prayer, I want to get you over the hurdle of public speaking and just make your praises and your prayer requests known. The other thing I want to encourage you to do is part of our time together is we want to have a renewing faith. Not a static faith, but one that renews our faith in the Lord. And so we want to encourage you to renew every year your covenant in Christ through Mission Hills. We don't want, we're not, we don't even talk about membership. We just talk about. Or I had this experience in college and I came to know Christ. Great. But faith is more than a one-time decision. There's a chance to be made new again and again. And so every year we think there's a chance to rededicate ourselves or reevaluate our covenant to Christ. To love him more, to love each other more, but to love others more. That's the simple application. And so over the last few weeks, we've been talking about what does it mean to grow in a covenant relationship with Christ as long as you're at Mission Hills Church. Part of that is how we serve one another. And so we want to involve you in what it means to be an extended family. I don't always feel called to take out the trash of my family or to clean out the garage. I just know that that's what it means to be in family. I don't always feel like doing the dishes, but that's what it means to be a family, and the church is no different. Secondly, we want you to be actively thinking about who is the people of peace in your life. Who are the ones that God has prepared but don't yet know Christ, that need to take a next step? We pray for those people. So as you are led, we want to encourage you to do that. So if you haven't already turned this in, um, if you haven't filled it out, we're going to go into a time of worship, and then we're just going to come and lay them at an altar. Our altar today is just a table in the back. But as part of our worship response, we want to lay this at the altar and ask for God to do what only God can do. We cannot convert anyone. We're just trying to make ourselves available for God to do a new work in people's lives who are desperately searching. And then I want to encourage you to pick up one of these and think about who can I pass this on to? Who can I put this postcard in a box? Who can I invite to be my Lent buddy over the next five weeks together and go through it together? See, what church is, church is a needed community to work out our covenant faith. See, faith needs to be communal as much as it is personal. And what a solemn assembly does is it, it is the great antidote for what we would consider our, our, our idol of individualism. So I want to encourage you to go through a solemn assembly with our Lent books, that we're going to go through this together and with one another. It's going to come up in our tribes. It's going to come up in your discussion. I want this to be something that sparks some really meaningful, not just conversation, but prayers. God, is that you? Is that what you're inviting me to do? I want wrestling matches with the Holy Spirit so that we can feel the growing awareness of God's presence in our lives. So we're going to worship now. I want to encourage you that as we grow and go, come into worship, we're going to lay our, our covenant cards down at the altar, and then um, we're just going to respond and sing together. Our Father in heaven, I pray that you would do a new work. 
I pray that as these postcards go out, that you would prepare hearts for, to do only that which you can do. I pray that um, we would walk away from an individual privatized faith and we would experience something new because we're part of something way bigger than ourselves. I pray that there would be a movement that would be birthed from this. I pray that strangers would come into contact with a QR code and be inspired by your Holy Spirit speaking in the most personal ways. So we pray for dreams and revelation. We pray for a move of God that we were just trying to fan some uh, the flames of. Would you just spark us uh, and spark this community? I pray for the, the friends and neighbors that have yet to yield their life to you. I pray that they would just soften I pray that they would have a, a, an increasing um, acceptance of your Holy Spirit without even knowing what it is. I pray that our church would be um, agents um, to heal and to restore, but I pray as we go through this time that you would begin to reveal through the ministry of your Spirit the areas of our life yet surrendered, the areas of our lives yet healed, yet confessed, and you would bring us to this point so that we can know yourself in the most personal ways.